start the first season. It's been a minute. <laughs> couple months, couple months. But we are coming to the end. This is our last Sunday in First Peter. You all know that we will be going to the book of Revelation next, right? So you can start reading the book of Revelation. First Peter chapter five, we're going to be looking at verses five through 11 today. First Peter chapter five, verses five through 11. Now, almost every food and beverage company has a secret recipe. And this secret recipe is what sets this particular food or drink or company apart from other companies. And oftentimes, this secret recipe is seen as the key to the company's success. You all probably remember when uh, Coca-Cola came out, uh, they had a secret ingredient, uh, and it was called Coke. <laughs> okay. Everybody has a, a secret ingredient or a secret <laughs> recipe. And oftentimes, these secret recipes are protected at all costs. These companies will file patents and trademarks and, and go to all kinds of extremes to keep these recipes a secret. In 1940, a man named Harlan Sanders perfected his original recipe of 11 herbs and spices. Then in 1952, he started franchising his chicken restaurant, then known as Kentucky Fried Chicken. What's interesting about his story of when he started to franchise his restaurant is that he did not give his recipe to those who were opening the restaurant. Instead of giving them the recipe so that they could make it themselves, which would have been easier, he actually charged them a five-cent fee for each chicken that they purchased to sell in order to keep his recipe secret. To this day, only a handful of people know the actual ingredients to Colonel Sanders' secret recipe. And the original handwritten copy of his recipe is actually hidden in a vault <laughs> right? And there are no copies, no physical copies, no digital copies, nothing. They only have the original document that he wrote his recipe on. And they actually had to have an entire security company come in and move it to make it more safe because the document is yellowing, but they will not make another copy so no one can get their recipe. Now, we have been working on this series on suffering, and as we come to the end, I want us to see that when it comes to suffering, there's also a secret ingredient that we as Christians need in order to endure our suffering. This ingredient is rare, and the absence of it actually multiplies and deepens the pain that we experience when we suffer. It is our responsibility as Christians to develop this secret ingredient in each of our lives with the result being 
that during times of suffering, you will learn to become better and not bitter. Peter gives us this secret ingredient in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll start reading at verse 5 down to verse 11. And it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, Peter here tells us what the secret ingredient is when he says that we are supposed to clothe ourselves with humility. Humility. That's the secret ingredient that each of us as Christians are responsible to develop in our lives. Now, I want to give a definition of, of humility. A lot of times we have different uh, definitions or understandings of, of this word. So for me, I think that I would define humility at, based on scripture as a mindset that does not cling to or promote one's own self-interest. It is developing a mindset that does not cling to or promote one's own self-interest. I want us to look at two scriptures really quickly so that we can see this uh, in scripture. The first one is in Philippians chapter 2. Most of us should be able to quote Philippians chapter 2 as it was one of our memory verses just two years ago. Give it to me, Sister Mitt. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I'm joking with you. Philippians chapter 2. This is the example that Jesus set. Jesus is our perfect example of selfless humility. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus, starting at verse 1. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, like-minded, a mindset. It is a mindset, right? Because remember, he goes on to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So this whole thing is shaped around having the right mindset. Okay. He says, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through what? Selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now notice Paul is saying here, talking about this mindset of humility. First, he does say it is a mindset, right? You have to think humbly before you can act humbly. And he goes on to say that the way that we do this 
is to make sure that none of our actions are based on selfish ambitions. Don't promote yourself. Not only should we not be um, focused on self-promotion, he says that we should not do things through conceit, thinking more highly of ourselves than we really are. And then he goes on to say that what you need to do is make sure that you don't focus on your own interest, but focus on the interest of others. Now, you all know, I, we've talked about this when we did our, uh, our series on marriage, um, how I said that most times couples are, are, are fighting, right? He didn't do this for me. She didn't do this for me. And so we're, we're fighting to make the other person give us what we want. And as I said then, that if, if we as married couples, right, or people who are dating, were to focus on this text, don't promote yourself. Think about what the other person needs. And if you're giving the other person what they need and that person is giving you what you need, everybody has what they want. No one has to fight. See, this is, is the principle. To develop humility is to not promote yourself. It is to serve others and put others first. And Paul goes on to say that this is exactly what Jesus did. Verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. And giving him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice Paul says that in the Jesus existed in the form of God, right? Word fusis here literally just means by nature he himself was God. And yet, he did not hold on to that as something to be grasped, grasped, right? This is the phrase, he did not consider robbery to be equal of God. Horrible translation in, in, um, from Greek to English, right? The idea is that even though he was already by nature God, he didn't feel he had to keep struggling to hold on to that. He let it go. And he took on the nature of a bondservant, talking about humanity, humanity, and he even allowed himself to die. He was the king of heaven, and yet he allowed people to spit on him and abuse him and crucify him, not for himself, but for us. He focused on our interests and not his own. Now, he goes on to say, and we'll get to this at the end of 1 Peter, he says, because Jesus was able to sacrifice himself in this way, God exalted him, right? Because he humbled himself, his father exalted him above everything else in the universe. The second um, passage I want us to look at is Acts chapter 5. <coughs> Acts chapter 5. Want us to look at an example of the apostles. This is what humility humility looks like. 
in action from human beings. And I, I want us to stop and think, why do we suffer? Why, why is suffering so painful? Honestly, it's because of our conceit. Right? We, 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 we think we're too good to go through whatever we're going through, or we feel we aren't getting what we are chasing after. Right? But look, look at the apostles. First Peter, I mean, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 5. I'm only going to start at verse 40. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. Uh, we know this passage, right? We know that after Ananias and Sapphira died, right, the apostles began to be persecuted. They were arrested um, and then miraculously got out. Then they were rearrested <laughs> for continuing to preach the gospel and and so the, the Sanhedrin is debating about what they should do. Some wanted to, to put them to death. Some wanted, you know, wanted to, to say no. But Gamaliel, um, he reasons with them, and they say, okay, we'll let them go. But they are beaten and told, do not continue to preach in Jesus' name. Now imagine that. You are trying to do what God has called you to do, and every time they catch you, they either arrest you or they beat you. What do you do next? You keep going back out to the same corner and preaching? You want to keep getting beaten? Listen to what the apostles did. Verse 40. They agreed with him, talking about Gamaliel, and when they had called for the apostles and had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, doing what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, when was the last time you went through some kind of pain and suffering and you rejoiced, you were excited, you were happy to go through suffering? Anybody? That's not, that's not my testimony. <laughs> Right. I murmur. I complain. Me and God have to have a heart, heart to heart. Like, why am I going through this? <laughs> but. But they were humble enough to say. If this is what Jesus wants for me in order to keep proclaiming the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to suffer for your name. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not there yet. I'm like, you know, if you, if, if you beat me for preaching the gospel, I'd be like, we're just going to have to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hold on a minute, Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, that's why I laughed when you got to that, somebody slapped you on, the, on one cheek, you turn the other cheek, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I remember what DeWall said one time, he was like, I'm going to turn around, and then he snapped me, I'm going to spin around and hit him. <laughs> like, no, it's just, I I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not there yet. <laughs> but, but they were humble enough to be willing to be arrested and beaten, and we know ultimately killed, and they rejoiced. They were excited to be able to suffer for Jesus. That's humility in action. 
Now back to first Peter, listen to what Peter says. I think Peter then gives us in verse five the principle that controls the rest of these verses. Right. The principle that controls the rest of these verses is this. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, what does it mean for God to resist the proud? Right. This word resist means to oppose or to stand against. It means to be in an adversarial position against someone else. In verse nine, we are told that we are supposed to resist the devil. In January 2017, speaking of the devil, I know. <laughs> in January 2017, Donald Trump became president of the United States. And I did that for, for some of y'all. I'm just joking. <laughs> he became the president of the United States. And immediately, we began to see signs, T-shirts, and on social media, the word resist. Resist was everywhere. And for four years, we got to see what resistance looks like. People were to do everything in their power to make sure that Donald Trump did not succeed. We understand the word resist. This passage says, God resists the proud. Those people who promote their own self-interest over God, those people who promote their own self-interest over others, are placing themselves in an adversarial position with God. God will stand against you in the same way that we are supposed to stand against the devil, which means that he will do everything in his power to make sure that you are not successful. There's so many people who <laughs> spend their life pursuing dreams and money and all kinds of things, and, and, and they just wonder why they can't get any traction or move forward in the plans that they have for their lives. And you know how we do. We just automatically blame the devil. Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Take your hands off my finances. <laughs> you know. Take your hands off my children. You know. we, we, we blame it on the devil. But could it be it is God who is resisting you? Could it be that the reason that we don't move forward financially in our careers and relationships and all kinds of things is because we are so focused on ourselves that God is doing everything in his power to make sure that we don't succeed. God resists the proud. But on the flip side, God gives grace to the humble. Those who adopt an attitude of selfless humility like Christ and think about the interests of God and others first, they receive his grace, his favor, favorable responses, 
gracious care, help, and goodwill. So those people who want to go it alone and do things their own way, they want to promote themselves, and they don't want to serve or help other people, God stands against them. But those people who are humble, they act like Christ and like the apostles' passages that we just saw in the, uh, in the New Testament. God works overtime to give them his favor, favorable responses, gracious care, help, and goodwill. Now, someone, matter of fact, I was, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, and somebody said, well, well, well how do you develop humility? Okay. Now, um, I've said this before. There are two ways that we can become humble. Number one, we can humble ourselves, right? And we develop humility really in only one way. That's by serving other people. Serving other people. It's the only way. Uh, and number two, you, the second way to become humble is you can be humiliated by God. Now, I don't know why we as Christians almost always opt for the second way. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, why do we do that? Why do we always opt for humiliation? Right? God just has to, you're just going to have to take this from me, God. He's like, okay. <laughs> okay. You can humbly serve God and others, or you can wait until God humiliates you and embarrasses you and breaks you. It's your choice. One of the things that I've learned in 13 years of pastoring is it is so difficult to teach people humility. It's just something we don't want. And uh, we, we resist it at all costs, but we like seeing it in other people. <laughs> right? Sometimes we, we have uh, events, right? We put on, you know, the homeless outreach and People are like, Pastor, just tell me, what, 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 what can we do? I, I want to serve. I want to help. I'm like, okay, we're we going downtown to serve the homeless. Oh, I'm busy that week. I mean, we do it every single weekend. Oh, I'm busy every weekend. <laughs> All right, we, ha- we have an events at the church. We need people to come help with the setup, set the tables and chairs up. Well, you know, I, I, I get off of work. Okay, that's, uh, I understand. You can't. Okay, well, after service, after it's over, you can help with cleaning up and well you know I gotta go early because I gotta get in the bed so it's like you just show up when it starts so that you can eat and be served and leave as soon as it's over so you don't have to serve and help but the people who serve they like they such great servants we are short-circuiting the only method that God has given us to develop humility when we don't serve others. Now, in the light of this principle, that God takes a stand against the proud, but helps and cares for the humble, Peter gives us a series of commands that are like the secret sauce to go along with our secret ingredient. (laughs) Couple commands that Peter gives us here, the rest of this, chapter number one he says verse six therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God excuse me number two verse eight he says be sober and be vigilant and number three he says 
resist him steadfast in the faith. These three things have to go along with our humility. Number one, he says that we are supposed to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, what does this mean? Right. Wh what does it look like? How do we know when we have humbled ourselves under God's hand? And I think that the answer is given to us in the second part of the verse. Notice he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that or so that, right, he may exalt you in due time. How do I humble myself under the mighty hand of God? The answer is found in that second part of the verse. What is the real issue? The issue is I want to exalt myself and I want it done on my timeline. What we have to recognize is that the two things that will draw the quickest opposition from God is trying to exalt myself and making sure that it's done on my timeline. Now, isn't this the reason that we all suffer? Right? I, I have a goal in mind, something I want to achieve, something I want to accomplish, and I set a timeline for it. And then I go after it, and it doesn't come through. I'm going to work my way up the ladder, and in five years, I'm going to be vice president of this. And you're working, working, working. And you see all of the people that's over here doing nothing. They come in late. They don't do their work. They're getting promoted. You're working very hard. And you get nothing. You get annoyed. You transfer to another department. Still doesn't work out. <laughs> Just seems like nothing you do works. The reason that we suffer is because we can't achieve our dreams on our timeline. What we're trying to get is something in life that will feed our sense of satisfaction or our sense of self-worth, but we get frustrated when we can't get that or it does not come when we feel we deserve it. That's why we suffer. And again, we instantly want to blame the devil. But notice what Peter says. He says we have to look to God. In these times, it could be God actively working in these circumstances to block our success in order to teach us humility, in order to teach us that, this is, that there is no success without him, and to learn that happiness apart from God is fleeting. God wants to teach us to trust him no matter where he has placed us in life. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that God may exalt you in his time. Now, you know, I often wonder, for myself, what's wrong with the, the clock in heaven, right? Because, it, you, know, you know that phrase where they say, you know, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. I don't believe that. That ain't true. <laughs> that, 
that is definitely not true, <laughs> okay? You know, he will always come when you want him. He's never, at least in my life, he's never been on time. I, th- I think he just wait. He'd be like, I'm just going to wait till like five minutes after he wants this to show up, <laughs> okay? God operates on his own clock. We have goals and things that we want to accomplish and achieve, and, and we set our time frames, but God has a plan for each of our lives. And we can keep fighting against it. I remember I told you all before how I just knew. I, I, ministry was not in my plans. I'm like, I don't feel like living my life broke. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I had it out. I was going to be an accountant. I was going to make six figures. I was going to, like, live the life. And God was like, no, I want, you're going to be a minister. No, nah, I'm not really going to do that. I'm just not. And so, you know, we just fought about it for two whole years until, until he won. And I was like, dang. Okay, well, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to do it. I'm like this. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> you, you go be the, the, the average church you're you gonna serve people they're gonna get on your nerves you're gonna get on their nerves <laughs> okay <laughs> right and you're gonna like it i'll be like oh, okay jesus right i remember i came out of seminary i had my five-year plan i'm like you know what i should see my seminary they 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 tell you put all it put the, make out your plan. I had my five year plan, and after like three years, I was just like, I ain't checked nothing off this list yet. And I'm like, okay, well this might be the ten year plan. And now I go back and look at that same plan. I'm like, maybe it's the fifteen year plan. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how God works. God has to teach, inc- including pastors. This is not your ministry. It's my ministry. You might come out with, with a degree that teaches you how to do, all, do it this way to be successful. And God is just like, that's not going to work at all. Because <laughs> I'm going to teach you to trust me. God will exalt you in his own time. So again, he will teach you humility. He wants to teach us that there is no success or happiness apart from him. And he wants to teach us to trust him no matter where he places us in life. God himself will exalt us at the right time. And the right time is when we learn these lessons so that we can put God and others first. See, sometimes we're we're asking God to give us these promotions or give us an increase in finances or whatever, and, and, and we're asking for those things, and God does not do it because he knows if he gives you the promotion, you're gonna use it for yourself and not for the people under you. I often ask God, well, 
why why is it that you allow most Christians to not flourish financially? Why is it all of the uh, the millionaires and billionaires, most of them, they aren't Christians? And I think I, the answer, I, you know, I, I, I learned the answer. I remember somebody said, you know, well, Pastor, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give God 10%. And I, I got my answer right then and there. I said, no, you won't. No, you won't. If you can't give God 10% of $50,000, how you going to give God 10% of $50 million? <laughs> that don't even make sense. Side note, that's why like 90% of people who win the lottery end up filing bankruptcy. Because if you can't manage 50000 you can't manage $50 million. And that's the issue. The issue is, if God gave all Christians a lot of money, they would just blow it on themselves like they blow what he has given us. <laughs> so God does not exalt us until we've learned the lesson so that if he gives you money, you won't blow it on yourself. You'll learn how to help others. He doesn't give you all the promotions and all of the things that you're looking for because he's waiting for you to learn the lesson so that you don't focus only on yourself, but you use what he has given you to serve and help others. Peter Lashley says that what we need to learn how to do, rather than seek exaltation, or I would say wallow in our self-pity, he says we are to cast our cares on him because he cares for you. We need to take all of our, our pain, our suffering, our grief, you know, wanting the things that we want, we are supposed to take all of those things to him and give those things to him because he cares. Moving right along. Not only does he say we are supposed to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Number two, he says we are supposed to be vigilant and sober. Now, sober here is not referring to alcohol. It refers to being balanced or self-controlled, right? Peter is saying that we need to be free from every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness. We need to exercise self-restraint from the intoxicating passions that push us around in life. This is what Paul, what um, Peter is saying. He's saying that our passions, our dreams, our motivations, these things can cause us to become spiritually and mentally drunk. And we need to learn how to exercise self-restraint so these things don't cause us to be erratic and pushed around in life. Now, drunk people are not vigilant people. I don't know if you know that. We don't pay attention. <laughs> I remember one time, the person is in the room, I'm not going to say who the person is, happened to be in a certain city. And um, that person wasn't drunk, but I definitely was. <laughs> And so we, we were hanging out, and, and I don't know why I got the bright idea to start walking around the edge of the swimming pool. I'm like, yeah, you know, Malcolm, you know. <laughs> I know, I was just like, right? And they're like, Come, get, off, get off the edge of the pool. <laughs> huh? I did not fall in. But the point is I was not watchful or vigilant where I was walking, right? Drunk people are not vigilant people. They are not alert 
and they are not watchful, and therefore, they are easy targets for adversaries. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The reason that you need to be mentally and spiritually sober, sober-minded, and not allow all of these desires and passions to push you all over the place because the devil is looking for people like that. You know, I like to watch the uh, animal uh, channel and different shows, and they like to show you when lions take down animals, right? They, they'll hide in the bushes. It'll be multiple lions. They, they'll hide in the bushes, and, and somehow they send each other the signal of which animal they gonna, they're going to take down, right? It's always the weak ones or the one that's not paying attention. Right. I, I don't know how it is. It's always one. <laughs> right. And it's, it's like as soon as the first animal charges, everybody else is running. They like. <laughs> they just be look, they be just looking around. They be <laughs> still eating. And then eventually they realize, oh, shoot, it's four lions coming after me. Right. And, th and then they start running. But it's too late. They, they've already been isolated from the group. And you have lines coming from multiple directions because they weren't being vigilant, they weren't watching. You all remember the story of Gideon. God told him to go out and to fight for the nation of Israel, and he started off with 10,000 soldiers. And he said, I need you to give the soldiers a test. Tell them to go down to the brook and drink water from the brook. And so some people went down, and, and, they, and they put their whole face in the, in the water, and started drinking. And some people scooped it up in their hands so they could keep watching. And what did God say? God said, all of the people who put their face in the water so they, they could not see the enemy coming, tell them all to go home. <laughs> he he, he sent them all home. But he ended up with 300 people, only 300 people that were vigilant and watchful. And God delivered the nation of Israel with those who were paying attention. Satan is looking for Christians who are distracted by their own pursuits in life because he can easily pick them off just like lions pick off and take down the weakest and slowest animals. The third thing that Peter says here that we're supposed to do is resist the devil being steadfast in the faith. We must take a stand against the devil. We must do everything in our power to make sure that he is not successful at destroying our spiritual walk. We have to make sure that we take every opportunity to watch the tricks the devil is sending our lives so he does not destroy our spiritual lives. Now, how do we do that? The first thing that Peter says here is by standing firm in the faith. What is the first thing that happens to us when we become discouraged or disappointed in our walk with God? What do we, what do we stop doing? Okay, coming to church, 
reading the Bible, praying, we start fellowshipping with other Christians, okay, serving, right? We, we, we start to back off from the faith, the things that we've learned that helps us to grow. And what he says is we are supposed to resist, we stand against the devil, how? By being steadfast in the faith. You may be disappointed or discouraged, but don't give up on God. Because that's, that's what the devil is looking for. That's his, that's his aim. Keep reading the Bible. Keep praying. Continue um, coming to church. Continue fellowshipping with, uh, with other believers. Continue to do all of the things that you've learned to be strong in the faith. That is how you resist the devil. Number two, not only do we have to stand firm in the faith, we have to continue standing in the fact that we are not the only ones. Listen to what he says after he says this. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know that the, the, the feeling that people get is that I, I'm the only person going through this. Oh, you can't relate. You don't understand what I'm going through. Peter says that your brothers and sisters are going through the same types of sufferings in the world. You're not alone. That you have people who can relate to what you're going through. Number three, not only are we supposed to stand firm in the faith and stand in the fact that, uh, that we ha- we're not alone, we're not the only ones that are going through these things, we have to recognize that God's plan for us has a good ending even though it includes temporary suffering. Listen to what he says in verse 10. He says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. Now, I would like to look up the Greek word for a while and and get a little clarification on wh- what what is a while because it's like to a while to me is like 1 2 3 days. You know. But for some reason a, a while for God, you know, is is years is years. I was talking to somebody um, uh, this past week, and they were telling me about something, and I was like, you know what you should do? You should, like, start, a, like, a countdown clock. <laughs> and just, you know, they were like, I know this is going to keep going on until this date. I'm like, put a calendar or something on the wall and just tick it off every day. Every day, just, like, take a number off and just keep praying, like, Lord, I, I can make it to this day. I see the end date in sight, <laughs> right? Because for some reason... God wants, he allows us to suffer for a while. And for a while is different for each one of us. But he says, after you have suffered a while, God will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. See, the reason God allows us to go through our suffering is not because he does not care. It is because he has something else in mind. His goal is, is to make us look more like Jesus. So he allows us, and this would, I think that's what he means when he says he's called us to his eternal glory by Christ, right? We will be with him in heaven, sharing his glory with Christ, right? 
but after we suffer, he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. These four words mean this. Number one, to perfect means to become completely adequate or sufficient. He wants to make us adequate in this life and sufficient for this life. And in order to do that, he has to allow us to suffer. Number two, he wants to establish us. This means that he will strengthen or make firm an attitude or a belief. Isn't that true? You were taught things about Christ and about life and about God as a child that you just took for granted. But it wasn't until you grew up and went through something that it became real to you. To strengthen means to make able or capable after eliminating a weakness. Sometimes we are weak and we don't even know it. And God has to allow us to suffer in order to remove that weakness from our lives so he can make us more able and more capable of living the Christian life. And he wants to settle us, which means he will provide a firm basis for belief or practice. The way we stand firm in knowing what we are doing and to know that we can do the right things is at the end of the process of suffering. (coughs) What I want us to see as we are ending this series on uh, 1 Peter about suffering is that God is not going to eliminate all the suffering from our lives, right? I remember talking to someone before and they would say, well, well, I I wish God would really just, you know, take away all suffering. And that way we could focus on loving God more. And I I said to the person, well, if if God removed all pain and suffering from this world, what would be the point of taking us to heaven? Right. I mean, there would be no hope or need for heaven if God eliminated all pain and suffering in, in this world. But he allows us to go through pain and suffering in this world so that we could long for heaven and we will appreciate heaven. He allows these things into our lives. We don't know why he allows them into our lives, but he allows them into our lives, not because he does not care about us, but because he is trying to make us more mature, to make us stronger, to make us better. Now, if I was in charge of the world, I would have tried to come up with a different plan. Right. But in his wisdom, he knows that the best way to perfect us spiritually. Is to allow us to go through suffering. The same way, the way that you perfect gold or silver is to put it in the fire. So as we finish this series, hopefully we have thought through all of the different things that we may experience And we've learned how to allow our suffering to make us better Christians for the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for allowing us to come through uh, this series. Lord, it's a difficult series because we don't like suffering. We want life to be easy and smooth. And we don't want to go through any rough patches. And yet, in your wisdom, Lord, you have decided to perfect us through pain and suffering. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul says in Hebrews, that Jesus learned obedience 
through the things that he suffered. He was the king of the universe and had no need of obedience. And yet he learned obedience by suffering. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us to rest in you. Teach us to trust in you. Help us to recognize that this life is not about creating our plan for our lives and achieving our plan in a certain time frame. This life is about glorifying you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to develop humility before you because our lack of humility and our uh, our desire to keep pushing ahead to achieve our dreams and our plans on our terms is what oftentimes creates the, the internal and mental and emotional pain and suffering that we feel. Teach us to humble ourselves under your mighty hands. Because when you have decided it is enough, you will exalt us just like you did your son. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be able to continue to come back to these passages mentally and emotionally uh, to wrestle with you, bringing all of our cares to you because we know that you care for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we develop this uh, mindset of humility to put you first and to serve others, Lord, I pray that you would help us to experience the greatest joy that we can ever experience. We thank you now for all these things. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so we have gotten through 1 Peter. As always, when we finish a series, 